Chapter Two of Through Glacier Park Seeing America First with Howard Eaton by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Fall In The rendezvous for the Eaton party last summer was at Glacier Park Station on the Great Northern Railway. Getting to that point, remote as it seemed, had been surprisingly easy, almost disappointingly easy. Was this, then, going to be the borderland of civilization, to the last stronghold of the Old West? Over the flat country, with inquiring prairie dogs sitting up to inspect us, the train of heavy Pullman diners and club car moved steadily toward the purple drop curtain of the mountains. West, always west. Now and then we stopped, and passengers got on. They brought with them something new, rather electric. It was enthusiasm. The rest, who had been eastern and greatly bored, roused and looked out of the windows. For the newcomers were telling fairy tales with wheat for gold and farmers for princes, and backing everything with figures. They think in bushels over rather a large part of America today. West, still west. An occasional cowboy silhouetted against the sky. Thin range cattle. Impassive Indians watching the train go by. A sawmill and not a tree in sight over a vast horizon. Red raspberries as large as strawberries served in the diner, and trout from the mountains that seemed no nearer by midday than at dawn. Then at last, at twilight, Glacier Park Station, and Howard Eaton on the platform, and old chief three bears of the Blackfeet, wonderfully dressed and preserved at ninety-three. It was rather a picturesque party, those who had gone up from the Eaton Ranch in Wyoming, a trifle of seven hundred miles, wore their riding clothes to save luggage. Khaki was the rule. The women, mostly in breeches and long coats, with high-laced shoes reaching to the knees, and soft felt hats. The men in riding clothes, with sombreros and brilliant bandanas knotted about their throats. One or two had rather overdone the part, and were the objects of good-natured chaffing later on by the guides and cowboys. "'Hi!' cried an urchin, as we walked about the streets of Billings, Montana, to stretch train-tired muscles. "'Here's the 101 Ranch!' Not very long before, I had been to the front in Belgium and in France. I confess that no excursion to the trenches gave me a greater thrill than the one that accompanied that start the next morning from the Glacier Park Hotel to cross the Continental Divide, for we were going to cross the Rockies. Our route was three hundred miles long. It was over six passes, and if you believe, as I did, that a pass is a valley between two mountains, I am here to set you right. A pass is a blood-curdling spot up which one's horse climbs like a goat, and down the other side of which it slides as you lead it trampling ever and anon on a tender part of your foot. A pass is the highest place between two peaks. A pass is not an opening, but a barrier which you climb with chills, and descend with a prayer. A pass is a thing which you try to forget at the time, and which you boast about when you get back home. For I have made it clear, I think, that a horseback trip through Glacier Park, across the Rockies, and down the Pacific Slope is a sporting proposition. It is safe enough. Howard Eaton has never had an accident. But there are times. Once, having left the party to make a side trip, my precious buckskin horse called Gold Dollar was packed over. 
Now Gold Dollar was a real horse with a beard. He was not a handsome horse. Even when I was on him no one would have turned to admire. But he was a strong horse, and on a trail up a switchback. Do you know what a switchback is? Well, a mountain switchback bears about as much relation to the home-grown amusement park variety as a stepmother to the real thing. On a switchback he was well-behaved. He hugged the inside of the trail, and never tried to reach over the edge, with a half-mile drop below, to crop grass. He was not reckless. He was a safe and sane horse. He never cared for me, but that is beside the question. So having temporarily left Gold Dollar, I had to get back to him. I had to go fifty miles to do it, and I was provided with a horse by the man who holds the horse concession in the park. A horse, a death-trap, a walking calamity, a menace. If companies who carry my life insurance had seen me on that horse, they would have gone pale. He was a white horse, and he was a pack-horse. Now the way of a pack-horse is on the edge of the grave. Because of his pack, he walks always at the outer side of the trail. If his pack should happen to hit the rocky wall, many unpleasant things would follow, including buzzards. So this beast, this creature, this steed of death, walked on the edge of the precipice. He counted that moment lost that saw not two feet dangling blithely over the verge. Now and then the verge crumbled. We dislodged large stones that fell for a mile or two with a sickening thud. Once we crossed a snowfield which was tilted. He kept one foot on the trail, and gave the other three a chance to take a slide. There was a man riding behind me. When it was all over, he shook my hand. Off, then, to cross the Rocky Mountains, forty-two of us, and two wagons which had started early to go by road to the first camp. Cowboys in chaps and jingling spurs, timorous women, who eyed rather askance the blue and purple mountains back of the hotel, automobile tourists, partly curious and partly envious. The inevitable photographer for whom we lined up in a semicircle, each one trying to look as if starting off on such a trip, was one of the easiest things we did. And over all, the bright sun, a breeze from the mountains, and a sense of such exhilaration as only altitude and the west can bring. Then a signal to fall in. For a mile or two we went two abreast, past a village of Indian teepees, past meadows scarlet with the Indian paintbrush, past, with condescension, automobile buses loaded with tourists who craned and watched, then to the left and off the road. The cowboys and guides were watching us. As we strung out along the trail, they rode back and forth, inspecting saddles, examining stirrups, seeing that all were comfortable and safe. For even that first day we were to cross Mount Henry, and there must be no danger of saddle-slipping. Quite without warning, we plunged into a rocky defile, with a small river falling in cascades. The shadow of the mountain enveloped us. The horses forded the stream and moved sedately on. Did you ever ford a mountain stream on horseback? Do it. Ride out of the hot sun into a brawling valley. Watch your horse as he feels his way across, the stream eddying about his legs. Give him his head and let him drink lightly, skimming the very surface of the water with his delicate nostrils. Lean down and fill your own cup. How cold it is, and how clear. Uncontaminated, it flows down from the snow-covered mountains overhead. It is living. 
End of chapter 2